Welcome to Non-Essential Workers. I'm your host, Barlena, and this is episode six, titled Stories. I get to speak with the phenomenal Mary McPherson today, who's a, 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 an amazing local artist here in Thunder Bay, whose work I've been following via social media uh, for quite some time. Uh, if you haven't checked out her work, please do follow her on Instagram. She has a Behance as well. Um, it is just amazing. Uh, she's she's very talented. So Mary McPherson is an Ojibwe artist and member of Kuchiching First Nation. And she told me growing up in Thunder Bay, her art was heavily influenced by family stories and lived experiences, which informed this reality. Um, she has a background in fine arts, indigenous learning, and she's currently studying law at the University of Ottawa, where she intends to strengthen her understanding of how Canadian law impacts Aboriginal peoples. I loved our discussion. It was very moving, very informative, and very fun. I look forward to meeting her in person one day. So uh, have a listen, and uh, if you enjoy the episode, you can follow us on Instagram at nonessentialpodcast. Watch on YouTube, follow on Spotify, um, Apple Podcast, etc. Please enjoy. Um, well, it's really nice to to virtually meet you. Um, it's nice to virtually meet you too. Yeah, I I've been uh, kind of Instagram lurking you for a while because I yeah I just I love your work so much. It's amazing. You're so talented. Um, thank you yeah and uh it's this is kind of a special episode because you're the first visual artist that I've talked to uh, on here and also the first person that I haven't personally met before so that's kind of cool that's very cool well I'm happy to meet you virtually I wish it could be in person but I know yeah (laughs) it's such a weird time for everybody right now it very much is very strange, very, very strange. Yeah. Um, where are you right now? Are you in Ottawa? I'm in Thunder Bay okay. at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, just uh, came home to be with my family. Yeah. Instead of staying in Ottawa. So. Okay. Are you doing school online then or? I am. Yeah. Okay. Yep, doing the whole whole Zoom classes and whatnot. It's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, do you wanna do you wanna just start by telling anyone who's listening like who you are and what you do? A little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, my name is Mary McPherson, and I'm a member of Kuchiching First Nation. Um, my dad is Ojibwe and he was born and raised at uh, Kuchiching and my mom is Irish and she is from Toronto. So I was raised in Thunder Bay and, um, and I did my undergrad in visual arts and art has always pretty well been um, something that I was really passionate about. So I decided to pursue it further. and. Uh, throughout my undergrad, I was making art that was very personal. Um, it was, you know, more or less me expressing these concerns and questions that I have about stories that I've heard or things that I've experienced. And um, that led me to pursue a law degree because I was, you know, thinking and exploring a lot of legal issues. And I also didn't really know how to how to go about comprehending them from a legal perspective. So I decided to to pursue law. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm in second year um, studying law at Ottawa and yeah, missing art for sure. Mm. Cool, so how did you first, what was your sort of, did you have formal training in visual arts before Lakehead or? Or did you just mostly do it on your own? So I had, I had a fabulous 
art teacher in high school and his name was Mr. Kraft and I remember That's him. so perfect. His name was Mr. Yeah. Kraft. Oh his my His name God. was Mr. Kraft That's and he was the coolest teacher. Um but he really uh, I guess he really picked up on like you know he really cared about students from what I remember and he picked up, up on me drawing all the time and suggested you know I start studying these da Vinci sketches and that's where I really learned how to um, figure out proportions and you know start start connecting your your eye with your hand and see, you know kind of seeing drawing what you see in that sense so I, I I'm really thankful for my high school art teacher Mr. Kraft. Aside from that, um, I mean, I've definitely had a lot of support from elementary school teachers, but I haven't had formal training before, before university. That just, yeah, there's always that kind of debate or discussion about like nature versus nurture with these things. And like, I think that's proof that at least some of it is nature because there's some kind of innate part of you that knew how to connect with that very early on, on your own, which is very, very cool. Yeah. Well, for me, it was like, um, it was kind of just going into this whole other little world. I could start drawing and I'd, I'd zone out and, and be completely focused on just drawing. And I wasn't really any good at it. Like my younger sister was way better at drawing than I was but I just did it all the time and really just just kept up with it and I think that's the the one thing is like just keeping up with it and you know but for me it was it was a whole other little world so it was really really fun but wow well I find it so hard to believe that you were ever not like it, it's so um I mean the concept behind them is so amazing but also just the 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 raw like technique that you have I mean it's it's very very impressive some of them I I would not have been able to tell it was not a photograph <laughs> oh, thank you I can be very self-critical and I feel like that's we a, all can a thing. we all can yeah yeah but you, you just never you can always get better right so it's of course yeah but thank you wow um Okay, so you started sort of drawing on your own, then what made you want to pursue that in university? So, I mean, around the time in high school, I started to become really, um, really passionate about like, about my identity. And also like I was, I, I mean, I look white, so I, um, don't experience the same level of racism as people who may who look indigenous or you know kind of are, are racially profiled and whatnot so for me um for me it, it started pretty early on with discussions with my family and hearing what the what the government had done to them and then becoming really passionate about what what the government had done to to my family, to my father, it was very recent, and and my family was still experiencing the effects of that, and I was seeing that. Um, so I became very outspoken, um, and once I became outspoken, um, I got a lot of backlash. And for me, art was really a way of of expressing and uh, dealing with that. So so that happened around around high school, and then. I decided to continue on with university um, because that was the one way that I knew I knew how to communicate and I knew how to how to handle handle these issues that I that were, were going through my head. So, hmm. what kind of um, how what kind of things were you speaking out against, and what kind of backlash did you receive? Yeah, in high school. Um, and elementary school, they teach students a very different history um, than what I grew up with. So you'd learn in history class about, about the wars, um, about these great figures. And I'd go home and I'd, and I'd tell my parents and they'd be like, well, hold on a minute, right? And we have you know conversations about it at the supper table and whatnot. Then I'd go to school and I'll 
tell my classmates, well, hey, you know, Columbus is kind of an asshole, <laughs> right? And um, that didn't always bode well with students who were being taught that Columbus is who we should be thanking right. for the reason that we're being here. So um, that's, a, that's just an example. Um, I remember like, I remember one time some kids were goofing off in, in class during, you know, when you have to stand up for O Canada, mm -hmm. um, some kids were, were just goofing around and, and there's a substitute teacher and the substitute teacher at the end asked the class, posed a question to the class, why would anyone disrespect O Canada? And I mean, stupid me, I put up my hand. Well, it's our home and native land, on native land, sorry, not our home and native land. Right. And then, right, so, and then he, he kind of like scoffed and then said, well, you can go back to your home country then. And I was just like, uh, oh. this is my home country. But the fact that he said that in front of all of the students as well, who, so it's that, it, it was that kind of thing. And then that's, you know, I remember distinctly after that time, I skipped the rest of my classes and just started drawing. Like I, because I didn't, I didn't even know what to think. Like, I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, this is my home country, <laughs> but um, yeah. So that, that's just like... The fact that he could say that to you like in a public setting in front of other people baffles me. That's... My parents, I, I feel very lucky to have parents who were always really supportive of me. Um, but when they heard that, they like, they went to the principal and they were like, oh, hey, good. we want this guy to apologize. And he did. He, he came back and apologized to the class. It was definitely a moment that stuck with me, though, that 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 kind of mentality is in people. And I've seen it over and over again. You know, you, you hear all the time um, people re people referring to Indigenous people in the city and, and they'll say, well, they should just go back to the reserve where they belong. I remember like one time I was like trying to argue with this woman, like, no, they belong here just like you belong here. Like, and she, you know, she was like, oh, you're just a kid and whatnot, but, but um, yeah, lots of, lots of stuff like that. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, like I've heard people say that the racism and discrimination against Indigenous people is particularly potent in Thunder Bay. Do you feel that's accurate? I do. I do feel that's accurate. Um, yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, it's, I'm not sure. I'm not really too sure. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm really, I can't, I don't think I'm equipped to answer that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, I'm not too sure. I know there's a lot of institutional racism here and that might be part of it. Um, people vary up high in the institutions and the systemic um, racism in the institutions, I imagine infiltrates on the, down onto the ground, but um, it's certainly passed on to generation from generation, as far as I know, like people will say racist things in front of their kids and and uh, their kids will learn how to say that. And so if you challenge them, then you're challenging the way that they see the world, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a very like, it's a very hard thing to grapple with. They often won't want to change their minds on that, that sort of thing, but yeah, in terms of why it's so potent here in Thunder Bay, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. I think it's just certainly in a lot of other places as well, though. I suppose when it's a smaller town, and we're also sort of, we're sort of isolated, right? Like, it's sort of, we're the bigger, the biggest city within a network of smaller communities here, right? Yeah, yeah. And that very well could be it as well. This is kind of a, a hub for, for, for communities as well. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, the other thing is you like, you know, people 
you know, we have different values and you come from a community and then you face, um, say, the non-Indigenous population who comes from a very opposite and even incommensurable value system than, um, than the Indigenous population um, mm -hmm. or the person who's community, like the very distinct to the communities, right? So um, there might be like a clash there in terms of behaviors and uh, people may not take the time to um, understand where where an Indigenous person is coming from and what their perspective is. But um, and that may just be amplified more here because of that. So you were here and you stayed here and yeah, you went to Lakehead. Okay, cool. And what was your experience there? Like, how did you develop your, like, where was your art when you started and how did you develop that throughout? Um, once I got to Lakehead, it was like, oh my gosh, I get to make art all of the time. And, and then I also took Indigenous learning. So I did my, my minor in Indigenous learning and I was just like, I was just so happy to be there. And my professors, um, like were really, really amazing. Um, like I, I remember my painting professor um, and I, I think I'll always carry this with me. Like even like in law school, she kind of prepared me for this because she, she had me thinking on the spot and thinking about everything that I was saying. But for the entire three hours, she was questioning me on my concept behind my work, you mm. know, challenging and, and, and I felt a lot of pressure. It was in front of the class and whatnot. And I was like, okay, I really got to think about every single thing that I'm putting in my painting. But from then on, I put, I put a lot more thought into, into what I was doing. Like I had really amazing professors. So um, I, I really appreciated that, but. Hmm. That's awesome. There's nothing like an amazing mentor. There's nothing like it. For sure. They can just yeah. make, they can make the difference between you doing what you are trying to do and not, you know? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, and people who are very passionate about teaching, I really, I don't know, I really look up to them. Yeah. But Yeah. I noticed uh, most of the stuff that you have on your Instagram and what you sent me, it's mostly, um, like what, what would the medium be that you would describe? It's drawing. Mm -hmm right and yeah. it's what are you using what materials are you mainly graphite and charcoal um so what what i often do is i just um you know like plan it out and then layer on um graphite and just actually like my favorite drawing tool is a kleenex mm. <laughs> because you can just yeah. yeah you can just smudge the charcoal and then erase any and just layer it like that right so that's that's what I typically do um um yeah tiny erasers <laughs> changed my life um, <laughs> it's generally well, you mentioned that you were you you like to have subjects that are like family members and that honor the people that you know and their stories were you already sort of doing that at Lakehead like was there room to to do that there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, at first, um, what they do is they they uh, introduce you to a variety of mediums. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that will be very um, assignment focused uh, work, like um, painting a cube and studying the light and whatnot. But um, as I progressed and got to choose what medium I wanted to go forward, and um, I definitely uh, through my family members mm -hmm. um, for the most part, but. How do they feel about being drawn? I hope that they like being drawn. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> they agree Remember, to get their picture taken for the reference photos, so. Right, yeah, okay, so, okay, so many things. So one thing I was gonna say was that this is not at all the same thing but it's kind of similar. I did darkroom photography in high school and I had taken a picture of my parents and it was this like very stark, like straight on 
photo and I didn't have this intention behind it, but it ended up looking very intense. Like my mom was like on his shoulder like that. And they were both looking directly at the camera and it was in black and white and they looked very tired and kind of like worn down by life. And for some reason it ended up being making it into this photography show that like as part of, it was just, you know, a student show, but they, um, they went to see it and they were like, it was a very good photograph and we loved the photograph, but we did not like how we looked like we looked (laughs) tired and like drained and beaten down. (laughs) We did not like that side of ourselves that you brought out there. (laughs) So sometimes it can be funny to see like depictions of ourselves like through the lens of someone else, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a really neat story. I, I don't, I can't even imagine what it would be like to do darkroom photography. It sounds like such a, a complex um, procedure and it's really cool, really it, neat. It's very, um, so you were mentioning how when you draw, you kind of go into this like focused state. Um, and I talk, I think about this a lot, the flow state, right? Like getting into that flow state. Exactly. And honestly, that's the only activity that I can think of like I'm a professional musician but like I've never felt that playing music where like very rarely um because I have all this sort of training and like Mm. shoulds and should nots um which are helpful and you know produce a good product often but that specific state of mind um I only experienced that doing darkroom photography where it was just Wow. In the zone, kind of not thinking about anything else, just sort of, and this really even vibration. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's very scientific how everything, you know, the timings that you have to, um, you know, expose the photograph to, um, or rather your photo paper to the various chemicals. um, And you do a lot of test strips to see like how it will turn out in how the light has exposed various parts of the the paper um so yeah I I felt very lucky that I I also had a high school that was had a very special program in that way it was an arts high school so they had oh so cool yeah so cool wow that's fascinating that sounds like a really cool like I I heard that um it involves a lot of chemicals as well and Mm -hmm. and it sounds like really really intense like you said like yeah, it takes it takes um, it takes a good while to sort of feel comfortable with the various equipment, um, just on a technical level. And it's such a dying art. Like it, it makes me so sad when I think about um, maybe there'll be a resurgence, kind of like with vinyl. You know, has kind of come back. Um, yeah, I'm hoping there'll be some kind of retro resurgence, and maybe there already is, and I'm just unaware of it. I need to reach out to some photographers and see what's going on with that. But well, I know my sister is a photographer and she's been experimenting with dark room photography as well. She was talking about um, film soup, I think she called it, but like collecting various materials. She was using mushrooms and algae and like using it to develop these. Yeah, that's so cool. Maybe I should. Very, very fascinating. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think like one of my, if I had, you know, disposable income and like all of that, I think one of the things I would make sure to have in my house would be two things would be one would be a sauna and the, <laughs> and the other would be a dark room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the one thing like my sister, when she lived at our parents, she could like use the, use a bathroom and just close the door and use that as a dark room. But like, I know she had to collect materials over a very long period of time before she could get started. Neat. Okay. So how did your, did you notice like your technique, like having gone to the university, how did that sort of change or develop your technique? My, uh, I think the biggest um, no, uh, change that I noticed was that my, artwork got bigger so I was um, introduced to I think one of the assignments we had to do in second year was a large-scale self-portrait 
It was like five by five feet. And um, like for me, that was really intimidating. Um, I was like used to working on these tiny moleskin sketchbooks or whatever, like, you know, the super tiny sketchbooks. Um, and I know like my, my high school art teacher would always tell me to work bigger, like you gotta work bigger. And I was just really petrified of doing that. Like it just felt like my hand would have to get used to a whole different way of um, seeing or adjusting. Um, so yeah, our second year assignment really pushed us to do that. And then from that moment on, like, I loved it. Like, it was like, you know, you're working on a wall and it's like consuming you and you're just totally like focused on accomplishing this mission of drawing this bigger, bigger scale. So from, from that point on, I've always just, yeah, drawn, drawn on a much larger scale, um, yeah, I feel like um, I feel like also art school, like in at the university, taught me to see depth a lot more as well. Um, whereas before, I was just kind of focusing on uh, details and whatnot. But um, definitely, yeah, those are the two biggest examples I can think of off the top of my head. Like depth of perception. Yes. Yeah, yeah and and how light light hits and. Um, you just get a little bit more form and kind of that understanding of how to go about accomplishing that. Um, I did enjoy painting. I really enjoyed sculpture because sculpture, we got to experiment with pretty well any materials that you had around you. Mm -hmm. And um, and that kind of introduced me to this whole world of experimentation and failing and failing over and over again before you hit this like, result of something that's like really exciting, um, stuff like that. So I really enjoyed, enjoyed being introduced to those. Um, and I hope that I can go forward and, and, you know, kind of experiment more with those mediums down the road someday, but. Yeah, cool. So your self-portrait that you were talking about, is that the one, is that on your Instagram? Is that one of the ones you sent me? Um, yeah, I don't think so. There's one. Because I know there's one of you. Here. There's one of you looking at the political officials. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. I love yeah, that. I can, I can describe that if you want. Sure. I'd love to know more about that one. Um, yeah, so it's um, actually like there's uh, there's a book called Unjust Society by Harold Cardinal. And this drawing is a rendition of the cover of that book. So that book is significant because in 1969, the federal government um, put through what's commonly known as the White Paper. And the White Paper proposed abolishing the Indian Act, abolishing reserves, and basically um, assimilating status Indians into the status quo. Uh, so that's always been the goal. That's what governments have always wanted. But um, Unjust Society was the response to that, um, that white paper. So Unjust Society said, you know, hey, we don't abolish the Indian Act because this is where our treaties, like this is where our treaties come or not come from, but they're protected by. and. Um, our reserves have the, the special status and, you know, the, although the Indian Act sure is racist, we, you know, we want it, we need it. Um, so, so that was the argument of that book. And I made this rendition and I contemporized it um, because the same objectives are occurring today. So, so what I've, what I've drawn I could go on a long winded winded. Honestly, okay. like go for it. Great. Um, so yeah, I have John A. McDonald. And this is probably um where a lot of this started. Um, so in 1884, John A. McDonald pushed through what was called the Indian Advancement Act. And what that act suggested to do was to turn Indian reserves into municipalities. And this is obviously a problem because what John A. proposed was to impose 
Canadians government system onto the way that we operated, which often wasn't a government at all. We didn't need a government. We operated by different different rules of behavior, right? So that's when that's where all this started. And then and then um, I have uh, Jean Crescier and he um, and Pierre Trudeau were the two figures behind the white paper of 1969. And then I have Justin Trudeau and Carolyn Bennett. So Carolyn, Carolyn Bennett, like uh, John Christian, was the minister, is the Minister of Indian Affairs. Um, it's called something else now. Can't remember what because it's a super long new name. Um, but the, the policy today is self-government agreements. And what has happened with a few of those self-government agreements is um, getting out from under the Indian Act, similar to the White Paper of 1969, and um, having a more municipal-like government on reserves. So the reserve status doesn't exist any longer because the Indian Act is no longer um, imposed. So I really wanted to speak to that. I wanted to show like the same objective of assimilating us into the Canadian society is continuing mm -hmm. in government policy. So um, that was my primary, um, my primary objective when I was making this piece was to express that nothing's changed. Right. They still see us as quote unquote Indians to be assimilated. So. Right. And it's such a powerful image with the, the, them as puppeteers, right? Yeah. So I, I had the, the puppeteer as well, because what you see, what you see a lot today is be because the ban council system is a delegated authority under the Indian Act, it, the ban council system doesn't represent the reserve, like the community. It represents the, like it works for the Minister of Indian Affairs. And, and so you, you have chiefs today who, who do work really hard and, and make a lot of advancements. And then you have some that are, you know, a lot of people may argue, put money, money in their own pockets. So, um, you know, a lot, a, lot, a lot of them may sign these self-government agreements. And that's why I have the puppeteers is because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our own people are going along with this agenda. Mm -hmm. So Pierre Trudeau, you have him on there. Yes. Right. And that's, of course, Justin's father. It is. And that who that is who is currently running the country. Yeah, that's correct. Yet he claims to be trying to deal with some of these issues. Well, and that's the confusing thing, you know, I kind of wish that you know, if it were Pierre Trudeau, he would just be more upfront or more, you know, kind of treat us more like, you know, like intellectuals. But, but what we have today is all this confusion and all of this, you know, political correctness that's like, it's like, oh, well, we're in an era of quote unquote reconciliation or like, this is, you know, it's indigenous peoples and we're here to help and we're doing all these things. And, and so it creates confusion because people will see that and they'll, they'll think, oh, well, the government's doing a great job. When in reality, the same thing, the same policies are being pushed, so. Right, so it's almost like this political correctness and this idea of reconciliation is really just almost, I don't know if they mean it this way, but it almost functions functions as like a masking what's still happening, basically, is what you're saying? I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would certainly see it as masking hmm. and pacifying as well. But Right. Pacifying the people who care about it and not really dealing with the issues at hand. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. What do you think... I mean, this is such a big question, but what what do you think could be done? What would you like to see happen that you're not seeing? Um, for me, I think, um, I mean, 
it's it's hard to like answer that question because I think it's just so dependent on on the communities and but here in Thunder Bay like I would like to see like I would like to see more education but like for our own people like I'm not like I think that it's so important for us to understand like where we come from and who we are but also I think to have pride in ourselves and to believe in ourselves and you know right now I think that's that's missing um and that that makes me really it makes me really really sad um and I know sometimes I feel that way as well like you know you have you kind of have shame for who you are and and that's that's you're taught to feel that way and and I think that that education um, for us could really deal with that, could really instill a sense of pride and and a, a sense of believing in ourselves and what we're capable capable of. So mm -hmm. that's what I, that's one thing that I would like to see, but internal work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then and then governmentally, is that a word? Governmentally, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Go, um, govern, governmental go, governmental yeah from from above yes from above from above the powers that be um I mean I know there's it's so complex and there's so many facets to this but what what um what could be done differently from above what's what's something that could be improved upon? I mean, that's a really good question. Um, but honestly, uh, from my perspective, I would say, leave us alone. <laughs> um, I think the problem right now is we're very dependent on the government. Um, we're very dependent on the government for funding. And, um, and I don't think that bodes well for us at all. In fact, I think it kills us. Um, and I mean that. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the recent um, APTN um, articles that have come out on child welfare agencies. So, so Wichitawin. Okay. Um, you sh should check those out for sure. Um, but what's happening um, is, you know, there's the whole argument of jurisdiction over our kids. Well, we have that, we never gave that up. We have jurisdiction over our kids, but you have these uh, child welfare authorities who are operated by indigenous people or it's customary and it's being funded by the provincial or federal government. I'm not too sure which, but it's being funded from the outside governments. And what these APTN articles are revealing are a lot of um, negligence. So, so um, kids aren't kids aren't going to their hospital visits. Kids who are have um, kids who are presenting signs of possible suicide aren't getting the assistance that they need, and hence they are committing suicide. And you have these examples in super high numbers. Our kids are dying, right? So I think, and that's, you know, dependency on the government, on the government funding and not believing in ourselves and our own capabilities and, and you know, following this, this outside system of doing things that obviously doesn't work for us. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a very, I don't know if I really answered your question. No, no, no. You, but, doing great and I um yeah yeah it's it's so complex right there's so many angles to it um yeah it's very very complex hmm. that's for sure like yeah you it makes me a it makes me sad to hear that there's so much shame around people have so much shame around their identity well yeah and it's it's taught right like mm -hmm. you know um you hear someone say something racist towards you and you're gonna internalize that um right. so 
if and especially if you're not seeing any reason not to internalize that in your own families and and you know that certainly happens as a as an effect of residential schools so so that it's a real it's a real problem mm -hmm. but has have your your has your family experienced um the residential school system yeah so um my dad, my dad was the youngest of 12 siblings. I, I personally couldn't imagine it, <laughs> but um, he's a lot older, um, but all of his older siblings went to residential school and his dad went to residential school. And because he was the youngest, he, went, he was able to go to day school, um, but even there he experienced a lot of racism um, and I don't know if it's my place to really tell those stories, but, um, yeah, and definitely, uh, experience the effects of that, like, um, you know, within, within my family. I don't know how into detail I should really go with all of that, but yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly a, a, a problem. Right. Yeah. So all of this is influencing your artistic practice, basically, right? I can imagine you likely feel, felt and continue to feel a lot of frustration about all of these systems. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, anger. I'm learning. Yeah, I'm learning um, because I, I felt I was angry for a very, very long time. And I'm learning to just, I'm learning that it's better better sometimes if you can to just laugh it off because if you're operating from a place of anger, it's really hard to see, see um, you know, other possibilities and it's hard to think clearly sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning how to, how to navigate my way around around that but I was certainly very very angry for a long time and sometimes anger is a good thing um for me I think I think I'm trying to trying to learn different different ways of thinking through things and and um you know maybe transferring my anger to laughter and in, in some ways when I can but well it's interesting because they say that anger is always like the what did they I forget the exact term but it's always the it's, it's an emotion that is, is usually masking another emotion, right? So whether it's sadness or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so I, I do relate to sort of um, questioning our own anger and um, digging a little deeper, but I can yeah. certainly understand, yeah. I can understand how hard that must be. Um, yeah. Uh, so what are some of the stories? I mean, how did you sort of translate all of this into the art that you're making? You know, um, how did, how do all of these stories connect to how you're expressing yourself in that way? Um, well, I think, I think it's, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm thinking like, for me, it's just like connecting these stories with, with what I experience and then what, you know, what I see the federal government doing. Um, so it's like, this is what has happened. And then this is what's currently ongoing mm -hmm. and just kind of making that, that um, distinction so like I mean I have like a couple of pieces that kind of go through time that way um that kind of show like an evolution you know like my family through the years and showing how things are pretty well exactly the same thing um at the same time I don't know like like in terms of federal policies things are the same thing things are the same they're operating the same way sorry no. um but but um, at the same time, my like my grandparents and great grandparents come from a very very different world and spoke a very very different language and 
and um, and it's just a lot. It's a lot, but I try to I try to you know use my art to kind of think through you know where's my place in it all. How do how do I see the world? How do I view the world? And what's my place in it? But hmm. yeah, as a means to process things. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And help other people understand things in a in a very. You can only talk at people first. I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but like in general, we can o- we can only talk to people and at people and try and convince them for so long. Right. And I don't know what you do is so visceral and so visual. And I think it has the potential to connect with people in such a deeper um, way. Yeah. That's, that's cool Mm -hmm. to hear. I, I think the amazing thing like about art is you get so many different perspectives, right? Like I've had so many different, um, so much, feedback and and it generates discussion and I may see the world one way um, and then someone will say well hey did you think about this and and then you know kind of two perspectives merge and that's where I see the value in art is like you can express something and then it, it generates a conversation you get different perspectives. You seem to have a very loving and positive attitude in general which is <laughs> rare and nice. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So what inspired law school then? Because that's quite a shift. I do know someone else, um, a good friend of mine who went from music to art to law school, and that's quite a common, it's, it's more common than you might think. Um, Okay. Okay. Apparent. I heard apparently that a lot of law programs really do like to accept musicians and perhaps other artists as well, because they know that we can work towards a goal and we're very diligent in our habits habits, so that's true (laughs) yeah so what inspired that for you and how has the transition been um so yeah so I mean the the piece that I described earlier about the white paper of 1969 I think that's a good example of communicating something that that for me at the time was like a legal issue like And at the same time, like a lot of the work that I was describing, like in a lot of the stories that I heard, it's all come from the law. So all of this, like all of this seemingly like discriminatory or racist um, policies came from the law. So, so for me, that was like, okay, well, I really need to under, like for me to read the Indian Act, I feel like I need to go to law school to understand and, and get that legal perspective so that I can I can be better at my art, better at understanding what's going on today. Um, so that that's what that is what motivated me to go to law school. Um, I really wanted to know I really wanted to know what I was talking about. If I was going to be making art on this on on these topics, I wanted to understand um, what I was talking about, and that was just my route. Um, everyone goes through different ways, routes um, to understanding and, and, and whatnot. But um, for me, yeah. And then the transition was very, very tough. Um, but I feel very lucky to be able to go. So I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to complain too much. Um, but I also like, I think that the tough part was that I was just, I was just learning, right? So I was just you know, learning just just how much I don't know and, and how much is actually out there and how many challenges there are. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was a, it's a very complex process. Sometimes you feel like you're being torn into as well. Like for me, it's like my ethics are very different than what you see like in the profession or like in law itself. It's like, there's very stark differences I think a good example is like property, a right to property. You know, you have an object and you have all of these rights. So it's a bundle of rights. And the one of the bigger rights to having that object and having that in your possession is a right to exclude. So you have this object, no one else has access to this object. You have a right to exclude everyone else. You can, anyone who steals that object, you can bring them 
having charged or whatnot. So, so for us, it was very different. We're very used to sharing things, right? So that doesn't, there's, you know, differences like that, that's um, pretty evident, but I could go really in depth about it, but I won't. Yeah. When you say us, you're referring to your community or your, your relatives. My relatives. Yeah. 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 So it's sort of, yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of concepts where you're like, I don't agree with this, this, I don't identify with this at all. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hmm. But it's still important to learn it. I just, sometimes I, I think I joked with a, with a friend of mine, um, we were studying uh, contracts and it was like this really like old case from the House of Lords back in the 1800s. And I was like, huh, you know, like people would come to my community and study us, like perform these studies on us. Now I kind of feel like I'm doing the same to, to white people. So <laughs> it was like, yeah, you kind of just make fun with it. And it's still, like I said, it's, it's still really important to learn. So yeah, yeah. It seems so vital that um, as a country and as a people, we learn much, much more than, I mean, I, I, we got hardly any education about indigenous peoples going through school, like hardly anything. And that seems like a vital issue too. And I'm sure it's probably getting better, perhaps like the awareness is getting better, but we need to be learning way, way, way more throughout school. And then you know, after school, we need to be taking the initiative as well to learn ourselves. There's so much untapped wisdom and um, knowledge that uh, that we could all learn from and benefit from, right? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely um, beneficial for for mankind if we go go through that learning process but I remember when I was like when I was in first year I heard of people who didn't know what residential schools were and I was like like the scary thing about that is that this is like this is law school and the possibility of of representing a client who is indigenous in the future is very high um and how can you properly represent your indigenous client if you don't know who they are or what they're about, right? So this was someone in school with you now? That's what I had heard in my year. So yeah. 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 It just shows how much our system, our education system has failed us. Um but also it's also up to the individual, right? We can't be blaming everything on that. I think once we get to a certain age, um, we want to be, we would hope that that we would want to be curious and um, hungry for, for that knowledge, you know? For sure. It's, it just, it's, it's such an integral part of, um everything that yeah as you said the very land that we're living on um Mm -hmm. and to to ignore it is to deny history (laughs) exactly and and current events as well right current it's history that informs what's going on for sure yeah yeah definitely the land we're living on as well like um that like to understand like the history, um, you know, like my dad, my dad like tells me my great grandmother was at the signing of treaty three. And when they signed treaty three, the intention was that the land was going to be shared. And obviously that didn't happen. And that really kind of questions like, well, what is, what is Canada's right or the crown's right to title to the land, but um, but the treaties say that um, that the land was ceded. So <laughs> here, 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 here it is today. But mm-hmm. 
Have they broken pretty much every treaty up to this point? Um, I still get my $5 a year. (laughs) (laughs) If they stop giving me my $5 a year, yeah. (laughs) Mm. But... So the end goal for you would is still to do your art with this new informed perspective from the legal side, or do you have goals to be a practicing lawyer and, or is it a bit of both? I didn't, I didn't plan on it. I don't want to write it off though, in terms of being a practicing lawyer. Um, but I am very passionate about art. I think it, it, it might be a, a choice that I have to make um, very soon, but I'm very, like, I think it's in the back of my head pretty well all the time. Like, what am I going to do? But <laughs> Sorry, bad question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, no. <laughs> um, well, nothing says you can't do both, right? Exactly. Maybe. Hopefully, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. And what if you were to practice law? Would there be, is there a particular type of law you're interested in? Um, I, I am interested in criminal, um, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I find also like, I find property very fascinating. I find a lot of my classes very fascinating, but I think criminal is the one that, I feel is more like pressing in terms of um, what's happening today um, and the high rates of criminalization. But yeah, I'm I'm also really not sure about like what area I would practice in as well. So that's also a very <laughs> you got this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. you. Um, yeah, it's impressive that you're, you're doing that. I know from this friend of mine that's in law school, how ridiculously hard it is and how much work you guys have to do, how much you have to read, how much you're, how many little tiny details you have to, (laughs) I couldn't do it. I mean, I could, I wouldn't want to, um, (laughs) I'd have to, I'd have to really get a lot more disciplined about formal learning to go through that process. I, I really admire what you're doing. And I think I'm sure you would make a great lawyer if that's what you decide to do. Well, thank you. It was definitely, yeah, definitely a lot of reading, but you get used to it after the first year. Okay. Then it starts to get, you kind of get a handle on how, on how to, to pick up what you need from the cases and and apply them and then you 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 it kind of comes together so it's like a skill like anything else right yeah yeah exactly the thing I still struggle with sometimes is being precise in what what words I use um um so sometimes that's and there's kind of these nuances sometimes like the law could be applied one way or or another way and then how do you land on a side can be a little bit, a little bit tough, but yeah, it, it gets better up the, after the first year. Um, in terms of like places that people can see your art, have you, have you been a part of any sort of shows or um, shows? Listen to me talking about this. Well, it's still a show. What is it? An, an, yeah, exhibit. It is. an exhibit. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, we call it shows too. <laughs> okay, good, good. I wasn't completely yeah. Um, any exhibits, uh, displays, shows uh, in in uh, in Thunder Bay or elsewhere? Um, three of my larger drawings are at definitely Superior Art Gallery right now. Whether or not they're open because of the COVID restrictions, um, I think the show was supposed to end in January, um, but my work is still there right now. But definitely. I just don't think it's open. Okay, definitely superior gallery. Cool. And do you have any plans for any shows in, in the future? Or just kind of hunkering down right now with school? Hunkering down with school. Okay, yeah. 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 Is there anything that we missed about 
your work, how your process, your, your, your upbringing, your identity? Um, I think we, I feel like we covered a, a lot. Good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I well, think of- we, we can always do it again sometime. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, maybe in person once this whole crisis is over. That would be awesome. Yeah, it would be nice to meet you in person. It would be so nice. And again, I just admire your work so much. Um, And uh, it's it's truly, yeah, as soon as I saw you, I was like, whoa, this is, yeah, this is amazing. So I'm really glad you were able to talk to me. Mm, Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure. And um, it was nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online if they um, want to contact you for work purposes, artistic purposes? Um, I have a Behance. Um, okay. So it's just like, um, I think if you, like if you Google Mary McPherson Behance. Okay. And that's, yeah, it, it, there, there should be like a, just a little platform with all of my artwork and there's a way to message me on there as well um if not like yeah on instagram or whatnot but okay really excellent that's great okay okay all right it was so nice talking to you nice talking to you too take care take care bye mary bye Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da